Amen. Well, the title of today's message is A Christmas Miracle. You know, it's Christmas time. Hallmark movies are around. Christmas movies are around. Um, very uplifting and educational movies are around, like Home Alone and, uh, you know, all those uh, wonderful things. And um, as we navigate those, you know, the, the theme of miracles at Christmas are always, you know, kind of in almost all of those miracles, uh, all those movies, aren't they? Everybody is hoping for a Christmas miracle. I don't know if you're hoping for a Christmas miracle today, but we want to look at this passage with Zachariah and Elizabeth and examine uh, the miracle that is going on there. And, um, and, and here's the thing, though, is that as we look at this couple, they are facing disappointment. I don't know if you face some disappointment in your life, but you don't have to live very long to get disappointed pretty quick, right? Can I just help some kids out? Can I help some parents out? I see only a few in here today. Some of y'all might be disappointed this Christmas, and it'll be okay. All right? You might have circled, I want this. And can I just help all the parents? You ain't getting that. Okay? Money doesn't grow on trees. I'm helping some grandparents out, okay? So y'all can just let the guilt come away, and, and those kids will survive. That'll be their first foray into disappointment. And uh, you are helping them. You are helping them be prepared for life. Hey, kiddos, you're going to be disappointed. You're like, I'm just trying to help you. Right? I remember I had circled some things. You know, back in my day, the old Toys R Us catalog used to came, come around. And now we live in a day where Toys R Us is not even around. So, you know, what hope is there for children nowadays? But um, other people have picked up, the, picked up the mantle. There are digital ads that our kids are receiving on their, on their devices. Uh, Walmart had an ad. Uh, the other day when I went into Walmart and they, and they had a, a big Christmas ad for all the kids and, and, uh, and my kids were all excited to check it out. And, and uh, they even had a humongous, uh, perhaps, ride on uh, moose from Frozen 2, uh, if you all know what I'm talking about. Um, uh, what's his name? Reindeer. Yes, he's a reindeer, not a moose. What's his name? Sven. Thank you. All right. I was going to call him Olaf and then I was like, no, Olaf is not right, but my kids were just begging, can I get that? But we all face disappointment in, in one way or the next. And I can remember uh, building my dreams as a young person and uh, only to face some disappointment. I had dreamed of playing basketball in college and playing professionally. It was something I'd watched and, 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 and pursued. And listen, I mean, I was all in. Uh, I slept with my basketball like it was a woman. I mean, I just curled up with my basketball. I thought that somehow by osmosis that would make me a better player. And um, you just do all kinds of crazy things when you're pursuing a dream. And, um, and so uh, I had um, been told by some different coaches and, and been navigating some things in high school. And I had been told, hey, look, you know, you're, you're probably a, a D3 player, you know, which uh, colleges are ranked by division. D1 would be the ones you're going to see mostly on TV. D2 is kind of middle ground and D3 is, you know, and um, I'd gotten some D3 offers, but I was like, I'm not playing for a D3 school. I'm going to prove to my coaches I'm a D2 or D1 player. And so I ended up going to a Division II college, and my plan was to walk on. And if you know what walk on means, it means you don't get a scholarship, but you can still try out, and, um, and then maybe they'll accept you. And so went to this college and uh, started working out, and I was like, you know, I'm going to show these boys something. I'm going to show them the, the Mackey work ethic. And uh, I might not have access to the gym like all you fancy boys got. I might not have access to all the stuff. They're not going to let me in, but I'm going to come in the back door. And, um, and so and I, I went to uh, college in the foothills of North Carolina, so I was running up and down hills. I was taking my ball with me everywhere on campus, just looking, looking like a creep. And, um, 
And, uh, but I had a dream, and I was pursuing that. And uh, long story short, um, the team was already full. I started to notice that they were practicing, and I was like, hey. I came, and I talked to the coach, me and this other guy. The other guy, by the way, came all the way from Italy. And, um, and so uh, when we got disappointed, I think his disappointment was probably a lot greater than mine. But, um, but we, we're, we notice, hey, it's, 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 the season's getting started here, and y'all are practicing. You haven't invited us to the tryout. And so we've both been asking. They're like, yeah, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll do a tryout. We'll do a tryout. We'll do a tryout. And we're like, man, um, the season has started. When are we going to get to try out? And then, and then finally we bugged him up. He was like, all right, all right, come try out. And, um, and they had already practiced. And uh, they were finishing practice. He said, show up at this time. We show up in the gym. Everybody's walking off the court. We're like, well, this is going to be an interesting tryout. And uh, the coach says, hey, you, 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 come here. Um, y'all stay behind. He's like, all right, you two guys, y'all run five on five or four on four. It was something. There weren't even enough guys to do all that. And he was like, y'all go ahead and do that. And, uh, and so we started him, got all teamed up. And then the coach did this. Walked right out of the gym. And something just told me I wasn't going to make it. <laughs> Thanks, Captain Obvious, when the coach doesn't even stay to watch. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, neither one of us made it. Uh, this, guy, um, this guy had actually been promised a few more things than I was. I was just promised I could try out, which obviously um, uh, the coach tried to get out of that promise. Anyhow, um, Man, at that point, I was severely disappointed. I had dreamed of this my whole life. I have been practicing. I have been sweating. I have been working out every day. I've been watching those other guys working out. And, and man, all my dreams came sort of tumbling down. I kind of sunk into a, a depression. Uh, but I'm, I'm here to let you know that through that disappointment, God was working something even better for me. And, um, and I can look back on those years, and though it was devastating at that time, I can look back over that, that time and say, man, thank you, God, that, that you took that idol away from me because I was worshiping at the altar of love and basketball, and, um, and, and I was pursuing that, and God had to show me something even greater that he wanted to place in my hand and, and, and a greater uh, purpose for my life. And so I discovered all those things, and had I not been had I been playing basketball I wouldn't have uh, had a chance to serve in some different ways and be uh, involved in some community projects some big brother big sister uh, opportunities and I, and I probably wouldn't be where I am today and uh, and I thank God that he allowed me to be disappointed because he was revealing something even greater for me amen and and as we look at Zechariah and, uh, and Elizabeth and I know we've all faced some some great disappointments and um, and here just by way of context, the, the people that, that God is coming to in this first century Israel, they are some disappointed people. Because all throughout the Old Testament, there was this promise of a Messiah. Their hope was up that, hey, one day a Messiah is going to come. They had been judged as a nation for their sins. They had a bunch of wicked kings, if you're familiar with the Bible, a bunch of wicked kings who turned away from God, said, God, we don't need you, we don't want you, stiff-arm God. And, and they had been judged and punished as a nation. They had been scattered all throughout, and, and they had been waiting. Over 400 years, in fact, since they had heard a word from God. There had been silence. So not only had, had there been disappointment and, and discipline in their lives, but then there was silence. No prophets on the scene. For years, there were prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Haggai and, and Zephaniah, but no prophets over 400 years. Silence. No kings. No angels bringing proclamation, no Messiah, no rescuers. 
nothing but shadows. Could you imagine how these people feel, felt? And, and then they have the Roman occupation, this, this um, invading nation taking over them. And they're, and they're probably looking up to heaven, God, where are you? Where are you? You, you said you would, you would send a rescuer. You said you would send a deliverer to rescue us. And we can read the prophetic scrolls, but we haven't seen it yet. And there is silence. In fact, I want to share with you how the Old Testament closes. The very last book of the Old Testament is the book of, of Malachi. Malachi chapter 4 says this. This is kind of the closing words, and we'll put it on the screen. Malachi 4 These are the the last few words of the Old Testament. Verse 5 says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now let's just pause right there for a second. Now if you know anything about the Bible, you know that Elijah has come a long time before before this. Malachi uh, came after Elijah, and and Elijah was centuries ago. But, But there was this prophecy saying that and Elijah would come before the Messiah. He would come as a, a forerunner. He would come saying, he would come as a herald, you know, saying, hey, the Messiah is about to come. Like, this is going to be the first sign. There's going to be this Elijah-type prophet who's going to come. And he's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. So this is how the Old Testament closes. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Verse 6. And he will turn, watch this, and keep this in your memory bank for later on. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to what? To their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree and utter destruction. And that's how it closes. And then there's silence. So these people are waiting. God, when is the Messiah coming? When is the Elijah coming to let us know that there's going to be some hope, that the shadow is going to be moved away, the clouds are going to come, and sunshine is going to come pouring into our lives. And then they have silence, silence, silence. No Christmas miracle. Until one day, God shows up. But how many of you know that God is always there? We often use that phrase, like, then God showed up. Can we just say that's really a bad phrase? God is always there. God was working in those 400 years. He was quietly working behind the scenes, setting up all the right things in history, putting all the rulers into the right places, setting up all the right family members in every nation to where everything would be perfect to send the Messiah. And so this Christmas miracle, here's a couple things to write down about God's miracles this Christmas. Point number one is that you can write this down, is that God's miracles are often preceded by a problem. God's miracles are often preceded by a problem. Everybody usually wants a miracle, right? If I was handing out miracles like hotcakes here and I say, hey, who who raised their hand? Who wants a miracle? Everybody's like, me, 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 pick me. But if I said, hey, who wants the problem that requires a miracle, right? Because a miracle really is inferring there is a problem so great in your life, you need God to work in such a miraculous way, amen? We don't want the problems, though, that come before the miracles. The reality is we live in a broken and fallen world, and so those problems will be there. And God will use those problems to mature and change us, to sanctify us. And so God's miracles are often preceded by a problem. Let's check out verses 5 through 7 here. Again, a little more detail. It says in verse 5, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. By the way, notice how uh, Luke starts in verse 5. He says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea. By the way, 
just historical reference, real king. This, this did not happen, as I, I like to say, and as um, I believe another pastor uh, has said, in a galaxy far, far away. It's not a fairy tale, y'all. This is biblical truth, historical reliability here. And also notice that God is not going to appear to the king. It says in the days of Herod, king of Judea, and who is God going to appear to? He's going to appear to Zechariah and Elizabeth, not to the king. I love how God comes to the lowly. Amen. And so verse six, and we're talking about Elizabeth and Zechariah, and they were both what before God? Righteous. They were righteous people. They were doing what's right, walking what? Blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Man, could that be said about us? They were righteous people walking blamelessly. Look at verse 7. But, here's the problem. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. These people are disappointed. These people have a major problem. Here they are, faithful man, faithful woman of God, serving God day in and day out. But yet day in and day out, they live with the disappointment every night Every day they go to bed and wake up with the disappointment. We are childless. Now, maybe that's not a big deal to us in our time, right? But to them, being childless was a huge deal. This meant social ostracism because if you don't have a child, something is wrong with you. That was kind of the popular idea of the day. What did you do that God wouldn't bless you with a child? That was kind of a popular thought. You, Zechariah, must have committed some sin. You, Elizabeth, must have done something in your earlier years. You were sowing wild oats, and God is punishing you. And that would be the talk around the, 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 the well there as the women gathered. That would be the talk around the men as they were doing their thing. Oh, there's Zechariah and Elizabeth. They can't have children because they have disappointed the Lord. And so they felt this ostracism. They felt this, oh, look at them. It was also a financial liability. By the way, this is pre-401k days, right? There's no pensions. There's no retirement savings. You know what your retirement is? Your kids. You have kids and they are able, able to help you in your old age and provide for you. And, and, and they're able to work when you're unable to work. And so they, they are greatly disappointed. They have no real hope for a future. Their, their retirement is looking like zero, and so they're not looking forward to their future. And so they are disappointed people, just like many of us, right? Some of us are disappointed personally, financially, physically, socially, right? Maybe you're personally disappointed that, that you're not yet married. You're still single. Others in here may be disappointed with the marriage that you have, while others still are disappointed that they, like Zachariah and Elizabeth, don't have any children. Others are disappointed with the way they raised their children and their current relationship with their children. Maybe you're disappointed with just your family and your siblings. Maybe you're disappointed with your parents. There's all kinds of personal disappointments. You're disappointed at some of the actions and decisions you've taken that have put you in the position that you're in right now in your life. And you're disappointed. Maybe you're disappointed financially. You're disappointed it's taking this long for you to deal with student loans, and, and, and get a breakthrough in your career. Others of you have had a breakthrough in your career and you're, you're making and, and achieved all your dreams and you're disappointed that it hasn't fulfilled you the way you thought it would. Others still are disappointed physically at how 
their health is. You didn't expect your health to take this turn, as I believe um, the, the great preacher Billy Graham would say, I was prepared to die. I wasn't prepared to get old. And the difficulties that health is having, or maybe you're watching a loved one and their health slowly fade. Maybe you're disappointed socially. Your relationships, you don't have any close friends. You feel lonely like nobody is close to you. No one can relate to you. You can't trust anyone. You're wondering if you will have any true friends. You're disappointed socially with our society, with the violence that we continue to see, the racism, the, the sexism, the bitter political divide, and you're disappointed. I think we have a lot to learn from these same people, amen, because we are facing some similar disappointments. But we need to know that when there's a problem, that is the seedbed for a miracle, amen? And so I want to encourage you that when you're facing those problems, God is in the midst working to do his miracle. We are disappointed that we all believe, and, and even people who, who are not believers in Jesus Christ, we all think, hey, there's a way the world should be. There's a world that should exist. There should be peace and harmony and unity between people. There should be love and joy. And that world doesn't exist. Many people are disappointed. Are we ever going to get past this? Are we ever going to have peace? This is exactly how these folks felt. And so miracles are often preceded by a problem. Point number two, you can write this down. This is God's miracles often have ordinary beginnings. God's miracles often have ordinary beginnings. So what does that mean? Don't despise the small things. Don't despise your everyday workings. You're getting up. You're going to work. You're going to the grocery store, the gym, because God is often preparing the miracle in the place you least expect it. Sometimes that miracle is going to come through a classmate you dislike. Sometimes that miracle is going to come through a neighbor you dislike. We were talking with some brothers the other day. We were doing some uh, raking some leaves. We were talking about the lovely joys of HOAs. Right. And we were just having a good old complaint fest because, you know, if you live with an HOA, you just like to complain about it because they, they just like to maybe God's miracle is going to come through that HOA. Some of y'all are saying, I hope a miracle happens in my HOA. Lord, have mercy. We need one. Other people say, what is the HOA? <laughs> and so. God's miracles often have ordinary beginnings. They will come from perhaps the place you least Expect to look at verses 8 through 12 with me. says this. Now while he, that's Zechariah, was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty. That's a real exciting verse, isn't it? What's Zechariah doing? Just doing his job every day, 9 to 5. This is what he does. He's a priest. He goes in and does his duty before the Lord. He's been doing this for years. Day in and day out. I walk to the temple. I do this. I light the candles. I say the prayers, I do the showbread, I move this, I do that, I sit down, I wait a little while, I light some more, take this offering, move it over here, I go home. Boring day in and day out, and God is working in ordinary means, amen? Then it says in verse 9, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot, chosen by lot. You know what that means, right? They just drew some straws, right? They just rolled the dice. He's just chosen by life. But have you know God controls all the details of your life? Even choosing straws that seems random to us is ordained and ordered by a sovereign God. Amen? And so it says he was chosen by lot to have this special meeting with God. And it says this. He was chosen 
by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And a whole multitude of people were there praying outside at the hour of incense. I think we have a picture. Do we have a picture, Regina? I wanted to just give you guys, if you're not familiar with the, the way the temple is set up, on the far right of, of the temple, you have the altar of the burnt offerings. You would have to enter through that purple line over there. And, uh, and, and there on the altar is where the sacrifices we made. There was a, a what's called a laver. It's a washing station. Um, and, and then you had the temple, which only the priests could enter. And this first area of the temple here, which is called the holy place, this is where Zechariah is going to be. And in that holy place, there's the table of the showbread or, or the bread of presence. All this is in the Old Testament as well. Uh, there was a menorah, uh, some candles, and then there was the altar of the incense, which is where Zechariah is going to be. Then you have on this far left side, uh, the holy of holies. And if you know the Bible, uh, this is the place that only the high priest there is a high priest out of all the priests. Only he can enter. There's a big veil there because that is the presence of God. And you've got to be super clean. You've got to go through all these rituals because you enter the very presence of God. And there's a veil there that separates mankind from entering the presence of God. And only the priests, the high priest would come in there. And if he did something wrong or sinned, he would die. And there would be things they would tie onto him. And they would have bells on his tassels and robes. And, and so they know if they heard quietness in there... Uh, he probably died. God struck him because of his holiness, and that priest was probably impure. And they would just, no one else could enter that, and, uh, and they would just drag him out by the, underneath the veil there by the ropes. And, um, and so this is the Holy of Holies. And Zechariah is in the holy place burning the incense. This is the lot that he was cast. I think we have one more picture. Kind of gives us a little, little better maybe picture of what that was like, right? You can see the Holy of Holies in there, uh, the, the, the big veil. And then uh, that would be where he is burning the incense. By the way, all the pieces of this in the temple are, are what we call shadows pointing to Jesus. We can see that Jesus becomes, as he says, the bread of life. There is this bread of presence there that reminds people that God is always present. And then you see the, the menorah, the lighted candles. And, um, and Jesus makes these statements when he arrives on the scenes. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. And what he's doing, he's pointing to all the things that the Jews knew about in the temple. And, um, and, and then there is the altar of incense. The altar of incense has uh, this idea that this is where the prayers are being made. And I find it fitting that Zechariah is there at the altar of incense where the prayers are being made. And he's had a prayer on his heart for many years that has gone unanswered. And so now we find God working in the ordinary means. This is a place Zechariah has probably been a number of times. And though it's a great honor to serve in the holy place, it's something ordinary, perhaps, to him, and yet God is working in the ordinary. Amen? And so it says, uh, keep reading with me there. Verse 9, I believe, verse 10. Oh, verse 10, the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And then verse 11, it says this, And there appeared to him a what? An angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Can I just tell you, that doesn't happen every day. Right? Remember, these people have had silence. There have been no angels appearing. There have been no prophets coming and declaring, thus saith the Lord. There has been silence. And now, all of a sudden, he's going about his normal duties. He puts this here. He lights that. And then, bam, an angel shows up. And I'm sure he was ready to mess his drawers. In fact, I think we could read that in, in the text, right? And Zechariah, verse 12, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. And fear fell upon him. I don't know about you. When fear falls upon me, something sometimes falls out of me. 
and fear fell upon him. And so what do I want you to remember is that God is often at work and doing his miracles in the very ordinary things of life. Thirdly, you can write this down, is that God's miracles are far better than our plans. Right? God's miracles are far better than our own plans. God wants to bless us with even more than we know how to ask for. Sometimes our prayers are so small and God is like, really? That's all you can pray for? I got something uh, a million times better to bless you with. I was thinking basketball was going to be my greatest delight and God had so many greater things for me. And I look back now and, and I, I, don't, I don't miss a, a beat of it. Do I miss playing basketball? Sure. But now as me and one of my brothers were talking, man, my body doesn't work the same way it does. And every time I go out there and I'm, I'm like doing this stuff, I'm like, nope, nope. Not even going to try to get out here and hurt myself. But I don't miss because God has something, given me something far greater. Look at verses 13 through 17. It says this, verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been what? Heard. Your prayer has been heard. Could you imagine? Could you imagine Zechariah the priest, right? Every week as a priest at the altar of incense, taking the prayers of all the people from Israel and watching their prayers get answered, but not his own. Could you imagine how that felt as a priest? He's praying, he's praying, and, and God has not answered his prayers. And he's praying for others and he's watching them. And he's probably, you know, trying to celebrate. Oh, man, look what God did in this. Look what God did there. And now finally his prayer gets answered. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. But ladies and gentlemen, this is not any son. Notice what he's going to tell him. This is not just old Johnny boy. Verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. What? Why would many people? You talking about my family? No, look what he says. For he will be great before the Lord. Man, isn't that awesome? And it goes on to say, he must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his womb. And he will turn, watch this, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he, watch this, he will go before them in the spirit in the power of Elijah and will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Have y'all heard that somewhere before? Were y'all paying attention earlier? That was how the Old Testament closed. And he knew that. He knew that. They, were, they knew they were supposed to be waiting for this Elijah character to come before the Messiah would come. And now my son is going to be the new Elijah? My son is going to be the forerunner to prepare the way for the Lord's coming? My Johnny boy? God often wants to give us far more than we even know how to ask for, ladies and gentlemen. God's blessings and desire to give you things that are for your good are often far exceeding what we can even dream. Better than what he knew how to ask. How long had they been waiting for this rescuer there? He will go before him in the spirit and the power of life. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared for him. Man, God was doing something greater. God was doing something even bigger than, than what Zechariah could imagine. I love the verse in the New Testament, in Ephesians 3.20. It says this. This is uh, how God puts what he wants to do in your life and my life. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. How much more? 
immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, right? Take your dreams, take your prayer requests, right? And, and take your wildest imagination. And God's like, nope, still not enough. I can do more than that. You must think I'm a small God who lives like a genie in the bottle, right? God is able to do not just more, but immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. And God is working for our good. And so his miracles are far better than what we even know how to pray for. God has a greater plan than our, un, our little limited perspective could even imagine. And so you can trust him, sir. You can trust him, ma'am. Because God is doing something greater than you can even begin to ask, dream, or imagine. And so, number three is God's miracles are far better than our plan. Number four, number four is this. Our lack of trust can't stop God's miracles, but it can cause us to miss a blessing. Our lack of trust, our lack of faith can't stop miracles from happening. This is usually the part in the sermon where the pastor will say, hey, church, if you just believe and if you have enough faith, anything will be possible for you. The problem with you people is you have too little faith. And if you have more faith, you could get more things. I'm here to let you know. God is going to do his work and do his miracles despite whether you and I believe it. God is not like Santa Claus. Y'all know the Christmas movies, right? Christmas is not going to happen this year. Why? Because people don't believe in Santa anymore. And he's got a little meter, right? You know, a little meter. And it's like the, the belief meter is, is running out and, and, and the dust won't work to get a sleigh going because Santa needs our beliefs. And sometimes we can translate that into God needs our beliefs. How many of you know God exists and is going to do what he's going to do regardless if anyone believes him? He is fine. He, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are existing just as happy, just as, just as much on the throne and ruling and reigning whether or not anyone believes or doesn't believe. Does it break God's heart? Absolutely. When there is wickedness and unbelief, it does break God's heart, but it can't stop God's miracles. I love the fact that God even blesses us with his love when we are doubters, when we lack faith. God is a God who blesses us. In fact, the New Testament says, even if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Oh, church, let's praise him. Let's praise him for a God who is faithful, that even our lack of trust can't stop God's miracles. But our lack of trust will have a consequence, amen? Our lack of trust will cause us perhaps to miss out on some things. But aren't you glad that God is patient with us? Look what he does for Zechariah. In verses 18 through 25, notice what goes on here. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. He just said his wife is advanced in years. He just said my wife has a, a, her master's degree in Depends, a, a Ph.D. in geriatrics. And he said, this is impossible. Some translations say, how can you expect me to believe this? How can you expect me to believe this? And now, if you know anything about the Bible, you know there are plenty of people who doubt in the Bible. 
right? And yet, as we read earlier, Zechariah got uh, reprimanded. He got disciplined for his doubt in this case. But in just a few verses later, the angel is going to come to Mary, a virgin, and tell her she's going to be pregnant. And she's going to say, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. I have not been with a man. And she doesn't get disciplined. There are plenty of instances when David, the psalmist, is saying, God, where are you? God, have you left me? Am I by myself? You can read all throughout the Bible. And plenty of saints have questioned God and doubted God. And yet, what's the difference here? You see, because there's different types of doubt. Do you know that? There's a doubt that, that comes from a place of trusting God that says, God, I don't know how you can do that. God, I'm, I'm struggling to believe that, but I'll still trust you. And I'll trust you as best I know how, even though I'm kind of struggling. And there's a doubt that comes from the place of bitterness, perhaps from unanswered prayers, of anger, perhaps that Zechariah had for many years, that says, no, God, you can't do that. So that's two different what's going on here. One is, God, I don't understand how you can do that. The other is, oh, no, you can't do that. And when we limit and we put God in a box, God has to help us out, right? And this is what he does here. Notice what angel, the angel Gabriel says to him. Says this, verse 19, And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you, to bring you this good news. Right? He just kind of lets them know. Man, I came from the presence of God, bro. Okay? I'm not telling you some, some junk mail good news. This is real good news. I'm in the presence of God. You are, you are negating the presence of God and his word. So he says, this is good news for you. Verse 20. And then he says, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Watch this. Because you did not believe my words. Check it out. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Aren't you glad that our lack of belief doesn't stop God from doing what he's going to do? Now, God may bless somebody else, but God, in this case, is still going to bless Zachariah. He's just going to give him what I like to call the first instituted heavenly timeout. You know, sometimes you got to put your kids in timeout, right? I mean, there are other forms of discipline, too, but sometimes you got to put your kids in timeout. They got to learn a lesson. You got to say, go to your room and think about what you did until you're ready to come out and speak like a normal human being. And we'll have this conversation another time, right? And so God is not punishing him. Listen to me now, but God is disciplining him because the Bible says God disciplines those he loves. And, and, and his discipline is what's good for us. Zechariah had some stuff in his heart that was foul and poisonous and nasty. And God had to do a cosmic surgery to get it out of him. Zechariah followed all the rules, but he didn't have joy in the commands of God. Don't let that be you here today, believer. Some of you are rule keepers, and you're a lot like Zechariah, saying, God, I believe, I'm here faithfully, I do this, I do that, and you have no joy of Christ in your life. But you're a good rule keeper, and God is calling you to greater joy, greater relationship with him, greater intimacy to lay down the anger, to lay down the bitterness, and, and to... Let God do that discipline surgery on you. Amen. Discipline is not about God paying you back, as Pastor J.D. Greer said. He said it's not about God paying you back. It's about, watch this, God getting you back into relationship with him. 
You see, our sin removes us from God and it pushes us away and, and destroys our fellowship with God. And so when God disciplines you, it's not about him punitively trying to get you back. It's trying to bring you back to him. Another pastor, Pastor Matt Chandler, said it like this. He said, the wrath of God is most clearly seen in God allowing us to continue in our sin. See, some people think I'm sinning, I'm getting away with it. God is, 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 is not seeing this. No, sometimes that's God allowing his wrath to happen in your life because you're going to reap the natural consequences of your actions, sir, ma'am, teenager. But the love of God is most clearly seen when he steps in and disciplines us for our sins. I worked with teenagers for many years. I was a youth pastor, and, and I had some teenagers, and, um, and man, they, they would get caught with everything. You know how that was when some of y'all were like that? And they were like, man, why is this happening to me? And I wanted to say, why do you keep doing the same dumb things? Every time they would do something, bam, they would get caught. They would sneak out, bam, they would get caught. They would lie to their parents, bam, they would get caught. And they would come and they would just be so frustrated. And I wanted to say, man, this is God's mercy in your life. Because you're getting caught, God is trying to save you from greater trouble. Pay attention so you won't be like Pharaoh, okay, and getting 10 warnings before God has really got to bring the hammer down on you. And so God is disciplining to bring us back, not punishing us. Because you know why? All the punishment was already placed on Jesus. He took all the punishment on that cross. Punishment for all your sins, all my sins, past, present, and future. Oh, but believer, he will discipline you. Because why? He loves you. And so what does God have to do? He has to shut them up, literally. Right? Look at verse 21. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. They're like, man, stuff's taking a long time in there. Hope you ain't like the high priest and we got to pull you out with some ropes. Verse 20, and the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to what? Speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them. And he remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived for five months. She kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach. By the way, you know, I bet if uh, his wife had heard what he said in the temple there, she would have said, Who, Who's advanced in years now? Who's the old chick now? Call me old sucker. Right? I mean, it's just a dumb move, right? Don't do it in the presence of God where you can be written down for Scripture for all of us to read for the next couple thousand years. I mean, so just men, make yourself a note. Don't ever use wife and old in the same sentence. Okay? All right? And so God has to shut him up. Hey, but notice this. And, and we'll see this in just a few verses later. God has to make him unable to speak. Why? Because he wants him to do some listening. Perhaps, as some scholars argue, is that Zechariah wasn't just unable to speak, but some believe that he was actually deaf at that time as well. Because in a few verses later, it's going to say they go to ask him about the child's name, and they have to make signs. They have to make some drawings. And, and, if, and if he was able to hear, they could have just said, hey, Zachariah, your wife wants to name the boy John. We think that's weird. What do, you, what do you say? But they said they went to him and they made signs. And so what is the only faculty that Zachariah has? His mouth has been taken away. 
His ears most likely have been taken away. What does he have left? His eyes. His eyes. And I believe Zechariah, like a lot of us, you know what happens when we start getting disappointed? We start having a little party. Right? You've had one of those parties before. I've had one of those parties before. We like to call it a pity party. A woe is me. Everyone else is getting blessed, and I am not getting blessed. And the more we look at ourselves, the more we look at our situation, the greater it gets. And all we're doing is staring at the problem, looking at the disappointment, and focused here on ourselves. How many of you know that kind of pity party is just as selfish as the arrogant other types of selfishness that exist? And we tend to think, oh, no, I've been doing everything right. Why is all this happening to me? I've been good. I've been faithful. And God is saying, you, sir or ma'am, are self-focused. Take your eyes. I'm going to zip your mouth and your ears. Take your eyes and look to me. Get your eyes off your situation, off your problems, and get them on me. Reach over, touch your neighbor, and say, look to God. Touch your neighbor, tell him, look to God. Touch your other neighbor, second choice, on the other side, tell him, look to God. Right? Hey, listen, in your bewilderment and confusion about your current situation, look to God. In your failed relationships, look to God. In your fickle job situation, look to God. In your unfulfilled dreams, look to God. And your grandchildren and children's problems, look to God. Get your eyes off yourself and your self-pity and raise them higher. So this is a great time. This is a great time of year to sit in silence, as Zechariah did. May I encourage you this week to take some time and get in God's presence and get your eyes off yourself, get your mind focused on Christ and set it on things above. Amen? Even if you start, here's something free, it's practical. Even if you started with, with two minutes a day, set a timer on your iPhone, set a timer on an egg timer, whatever kind of timer you've got, tell Alexa, set a timer for two minutes and sit in God's presence in silence and get his word in front of you. Take, take one verse, take the only verse you know, take John 3.16 and just repeat John 3.16 over and over and over in your head. Two minutes, try that. Before work. After work, uh, in the middle of the workday, okay, find a verse and, and meditate on it. Repeat it to yourself over and over again. Sit in silence. And we don't have enough of that in our lives. And, I, and I'm guilty of that, too, because I love, I love to stay busy. I love noise. I love to keep something going. Uh, my wife makes fun of me because I'll listen to a podcast anywhere and everywhere, in the shower, while I'm driving, uh, all kinds of places, right? Because uh, I'm, just, I'm just hungry for information. I got a little ADD brain. It's just like trying to gobble up information. The Internet was the, the, the worst thing that ever was invented for me because when I was a kid, right, I just used to sit and I'd look at the back of the cereal box and I'd do all kinds of stuff in the back of the cereal box because I couldn't just sit there and eat. I had to do something with my little ADD, you know. And now all of a sudden if I think of something, I'm like, oh, I could just Google it, you know. And so there's just an endless world of opportunities and random things I can Google. And, uh, and I can be like, oh, I wonder how far away Venus is. And it's just like, huh, man, I forgot to buy batteries. And it's just like anything, anywhere. My little, it's like squirrel. And sitting in silence with our mind on Christ, you will be amazed at how that centers you. And so God 
is faithful to keep his promises, do his miracles, even when we lack belief, even when we lack trust. And then point number five, and we'll wrap up with this, is that the greatest miracle of all, the greatest of all miracles, is when God births a love for Jesus inside of a human heart. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no greater greater miracle than that. Then when a person becomes a believer, when someone is born again, when, when their soul is regenerated, when they come to know Christ, and for believers, when God continues to birth that love for him, during all the ups and downs and the seasons of our belief in him, there is no greater miracle that could ever happen. There, there's no cancer that could be healed that is greater than the birth, the new birth that happens when God gives you a, a heart transplant. There's no bodily surgery. There's no medicine. There's no child. There's no car, no house, no job situation that God could give you that would be better than Christ himself. So as we navigate these last few verses here, we didn't read this earlier because my little ADD brain couldn't handle all that much reading at once. But if you look over in the Bible, we're going to read kind of how this story ends in in verses 57 uh, through about 80 there. And uh, notice what heart change. Notice what good timeout and the discipline did for Zechariah. Verse 57, it says this. Now the time came for Elizabeth. This is approximately nine months later. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, he shall be named John. And they said to her, Uh... None of your relatives is called by this name. They're like, look, look, Zechariah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Haggai, John. That don't even sound right. Like, where'd you get that name from? And then they said, what are we going to do? No, let's, 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 let's go ask uh, the husband, verse 62. And they made signs. Notice they made signs to his father instead of just asking him. That's why I believe he was uh, perhaps deaf as well as mute. They made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted to be called. Verse 63, and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke what? Blessing to God, the discipline and the time I worked. Instead of the complaining, instead of the, oh, woe is me, instead of the pity party, what did he speak? Blessing, the first Words that come out of his mouth are blessing. Oh, God, I praise you. Oh, how we have so much to learn from this, right? What's the first thing out of your mouth? This week, this Christmas, when you get some difficult news, will it be blessing? Verse 65, it says, And fear came upon all their neighbors. Some of you say, well, look, preacher boy. That's great. That's wonderful. That may work for your life. That may work for Zachariah's life. But preacher, he got what he wanted. He got the son. What about me? I've been praying for years. God hasn't answered my prayer. I haven't gotten what I've asked for. Is there hope for me? Yes, absolutely. Because the greater gift is Christ. And listen. Zechariah knew that. Zechariah knew that. So what Zechariah is going to do, he's going to do what any good man will do. He's going to compose a song. 
I don't know what kind of song it was. Maybe it was a rap song. I just imagine he just started a freestyle, and, and, and they're like, man, Zachariah got bars. Just like, boom. Okay, So he's going to compose a song right there, and I want you to watch the nature of his song because the nature of his song is going to reveal where the hope of his heart was. Check out what it says in the rest of the text here, verse uh, 65, and fear came upon all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about all throughout the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them uh, laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be for the hand of the Lord is upon them? And now, Zechariah's prophecy, and his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, wrote a rap song, saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has, what? He has visited and redeemed his people. He didn't just say, oh, blessed is me. I got my son. Peace out. Thank you, God. No, he said there's a greater purpose here. God is redeeming his people because John was predicting was was coming before Christ. And he's saying, my hope is in Christ. This is this is what the context of my song is. He has redeemed his people. Look at verse 69 and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. That has nothing to do with John the Baptist. John the Baptist wasn't from the house of David. He wasn't bringing salvation for everybody. This was about Christ, folks. His heart was fixed upon Christ. Look at verse 70. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies. Who's going to do that? Christ is going to do that. And from the hand of all who hate us, verse 72, to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Who's that about? Christ. It's not about his son, John the Baptist. It's about Christ. Verse 73, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness before him. All of our days, again, verse upon verse about God's promise in keeping with sending a Messiah, birthing the greatest gift of all, Christ. Amen. Now, verse 76. And you and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. That's the verse about his son. And then look at verse 77 to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. So he starts with John's role, but he points right back to Christ, that Christ will come to bring salvation and forgiveness of sins. Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Who's that about? Jesus Christ, the sunrise shall visit us from high. And to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the what? the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Ladies and gentlemen, the greatest gift, the most incredible gift, the most satisfying, the most secure gift is not the the, the blessings that God provides for you, but it's Christ and Christ alone. And until we are satisfied with him and him alone, all the spouses, all the houses and cars and gifts will never satisfy our craving hearts. Amen. So the greatest miracle of all is God birthing love for Christ. And so as we close and wrap up this time here, how can you experience this Christmas miracle? I think we can be like Zechariah and remember that God is faithful. In fact, one thing I didn't tell you before is that Zechariah's name actually means the Lord remembers. 
can I just encourage you that in your time of shadows and waiting, in your 400 years of silence from God, God is still working and God is remembering you. You have not been forgotten. And God is still going to do a miracle. Perhaps the greatest miracle will be giving you new birth through the Son and in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing any person could ever do. And if you haven't done that yet, sir, ma'am, teenager, you need to do that today. That'll be the greatest gift you could ever receive. So if you're here today, the same answer is true for all of us. Take your eyes and seek Christ because he is faithful. Amen. If you're stumbling around in your faith, get your eyes off yourself and seek Christ because he is faithful. If you're sold out in your faith and you're going hard for the Lord, continue to place your faith in Christ and look to him. Because the greatest son that was born was not John. No, there was a greater son, right? A son who had not come to prepare the way, but a son who would come who is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? As John would be called John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, there would be another son that was born who would baptize with his blood for the forgiveness of sins. Amen? Amen. There would be a greater son who wouldn't just point sinners to salvation. There would be another son that would come who would be the way of salvation, who would be the very means of salvation. There would be another son who wouldn't just point to the light, but there would be a son who is the light of the world. I love that. And Jesus coming, birthing here in our presence. It's God's fullest expression of mercy, right? And I love how God gives mercy to doubters. How does he repay doubters? With his faithful promises. And what does Christ come to do as he dies on the cross? How does he repay rebellious sinners like you and me? Not with wrath, but with forgiveness. So if you're here today and you don't know Christ your person, we'd invite you. There'll be a time of prayer here in just a moment where you can receive Christ. We're going to uh, sing our, our, our closing song, and that will be an opportunity. You can come let us know. You can let the person you're with know. But for all of us this Christmas, we are looking for the greater son. Amen. Let's pray together and then we'll continue to worship. Father, thank you. As we come to you in the name of Jesus, Lord, God, grateful, grateful that you know how to give us things even better than what we know how to ask for. God, thank you that you haven't answered all of our prayers. But God, that you desire to give us things that are better, more satisfying, things and gifts to us that can't even be taken away in death. Because when we know Christ, Lord, we have an eternal hope. We have an eternal gift that you and you alone can give to us. So God, in our pain, God, in our discipline, we ask that you would continue to birth in us a desire and a trust in Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who are here that don't have a personal relationship with you yet. They're on the outside. They're looking in on faith. They're looking in on people of faith. And I just pray, Lord, that as you've spoken to them, they would hear your voice gently calling them. They would realize there's no gift, there's no job, there's no relationship that can satisfy their souls, their thirsty souls like you can. And if that's you and you know that God's been speaking to you, I invite you just to have a, a conversation right there at your seat. You're ready to give your life to Christ. You might want to pray something as simple as this right there in your seat. You know that's you. Just repeat these words after me. You may say something like this. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm a sinner. I ask that you forgive me for my sins. I ask that you forgive me for my sins. 
God, I want you in my life. God, I want you in my life. I want you in charge of my life. I want you in charge of my life. And right now, I give myself to you. Right now, I give myself to you. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose again from the dead. I believe that you rose again from the dead. Help me now to follow you all the days of my life. Help me now to follow you all the days of my life. If you pray that prayer for the first time, there's no magic words. God has already done a new birth in your heart. It's God who grants us faith, according to Ephesians 2. That we are saved by grace through faith, which is a gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. There's no amount of works that you have to do to prove God brings regeneration to your heart by granting you the faith to believe in His Son. If that's you, I encourage you to put on your connection card. I encourage you to let the person you came with know, say, hey, I prayed that prayer. I'm a Christian now. You can come forward during the song, let us know. Nobody's going to embarrass you or call you out. We just want to celebrate the greatest miracle of all, a heart being changed, a heart transplant right here, right now. If that's you, we just encourage you to do that so we can help you grow. And for all the rest of us, God, give us grace to get our eyes off ourselves and to place our eyes upon you, Father. God, we thank you for your mercy, for your power and your might. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.